Deuteronomy 14, verses 1 through 21. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourself or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a, holy, a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud, but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you, you may eat. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones that you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagulls, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl and the tawny owl, the carrion vultures and the cormorants, the stork, the heron, and any kind, the hoopy and the bat, and all winged insects are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean winged things you may eat. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns, that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is the word of God. I'm glad to be back with you. It's a delight and honor for me. I want you to know that uh, Su Song is my dear friend. I love him. He uh, saved my life. And perhaps one day I will share that story with you guys. But... Um, I wanted to go to the sermon. So you're probably wondering, <laughs> why do we read this passage? What could be possibly made of it? And uh, I want you to know that the key to reading the Bible is to understand how the New Testament and the Old Testament fit together. Because the New Testament is the climax of the story. It's the resolution to all the plot lines of the Bible and then the Old Testament is, is the setup of the story. It's, it's where all the threads began that will find its ultimate conclusion in Christ in the New Testament. And I want you to know that uh, Deuteronomy 14, which you just heard, uh, these clean laws is one of those threads. It's a major thread. In fact, you see it repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, and it comes up quite a bit in the New Testament, and unless you have a basic understanding of what is going on, you are going to miss a big part of the story. And so that's what I want to do for you today. 
I want to give you a basic primer on this very important concept in the Bible, and I hope that it will be not only informative, but it will build your faith in Christ. So um, here's the outline. I have three points. Number one, we're going to look at the taxonomy of clean and unclean animals. Number two, we're going to look at the theology of clean and unclean animals. And then finally, we're going to ask a very practical question, how do we become clean? So let's begin. Number one, the taxonomy. Taxonomy simply means system of classification. The taxonomy of clean and unclean animals. So what do we make of this truly dizzying list of clean and unclean animals? And in fact, this is an abbreviated list of a much longer list in Leviticus chapter 11. And when you read Leviticus 11, when you read Deuteronomy 14, here's the basic gist. The basic gist is that there are clean animals, and there are unclean animals, and the rule is you may eat the clean animals, but you must not eat the unclean animals. That's the rule. That's the rule. So what's going on here? Why this rule? And you know, a lot of people think, well, maybe it has to do with health. Maybe there are health uh, risks in eating the unclean animals. And so God here is protecting his people by giving this list of prohibitions so that they don't eat anything harmful. The problem with that interpretation, and a lot of people have done a thorough analysis of this, is that the unclean animals are no more dangerous to eat than the clean animals. Everything on this list is perfectly edible. Pork is no more risky to eat than beef. Furthermore, you will notice that in the text it says it is permissible for the Gentiles to eat these foods. Verse 21 says, you may give it to the sojourner who is among you. So the Bible is not saying, yeah, go ahead, give dodgy food to foreigners. It's okay, let them take the risk. Of course not. The Bible says what? Love the stranger. Take care of the sojourner in your gates. So it has nothing to do with health. So then what is going on? The answer is that it has to do with a concept called disgust. Okay? Disgust. Now, admittedly, what is disgusting is a bit subjective. But every culture has standards on what is disgusting. And every human being has at least some sense that some foods are disgusting. I, uh, I remember growing up eating Korean food. And as you may know, Koreans eat a lot of seafood. And in particular, Koreans eat octopus. And I remember as a kid, I thought octopus was so delicious. It was like a wonderful treat for me to eat octopus. And so I grew up thinking, everyone eats octopus. Until one day, I brought octopus with me to school for lunch. And all of my classmates were so grossed out. Like, they saw the little suckers and the tentacles, and it just gave them like the heebie-jeebies, right? And it was not until that moment that I finally realized, oh, actually, most people think octopus is disgusting. So where does this come from? 
all human beings have this internal, like built-in sense of disgust. It's part of our biology. And it's actually designed to protect us from disease and ingesting poison. So let me give you an example. Suppose you're taking a walk in the woods, and um, you get lost. And you're lost for several days. And it's now been a week. You haven't had anything to eat. You are famished. Along the path, you come across a dead animal. The dead animal has been dead for several days now. It's in an advanced state of decay, covered in maggots. Here's the question. Can you eat it? Remember, you are starving. Okay, If you don't get food into your mouth, you may die. Could you eat it? And the answer is, it would be impossible to eat. You would wretch at just the sight and the smell of it. Even if no one explained to you the science behind harmful bacteria, your body has this built-in natural instinct not to allow toxic substances into your mouth. That is disgust. Now, what is going on in the Bible is that the clean food laws are enumerating and regulating what is disgusting. So according to the Bible, sheep, cattle, and goats can be eaten because they are declared clean. Whereas pigs, dogs, and cats, these are animals listed um, in Leviticus 11, pigs, dogs, and cats, cats, which by the way, are all edible. <laughs> There are no cultures that eat cats, although under duress, human beings can and have eaten cats. Cat meat, perfectly edible. <laughs> there are some cultures that eat dogs. There are mo most cultures eat pigs. But the Bible says that they are unclean and unfit. Why? And the answer the text gives us is that sheep, cattle, and goats chew the cud. So what is cud? Cud is regurgitated grass. So for animals that graze on pastures, they have the, this very complicated stomach system. And the way they eat is they'll nibble on some grass, swallow it, throw it back up, chew on it some more, uh, ruminate on it, and then finally digest it. And so this describes how animals graze on pastures, right? This is describing herbivores. And the Bible says that herbivores are clean because they only eat plants. Whereas pigs, dogs, and, and cats, now, now cats are almost exclusively carnivores, but pigs and dogs are omnivores, which means they can eat anything, like literally anything. In the ancient world, pigs and dogs lived on the outskirts of human settlements. And at night, they would come in, roam the streets, looking for bits of food that people threw out onto the street, like bones, you know, rotten food. And they would literally eat garbage. Garbage. In fact, pigs and dogs have such robust stomachs, they can even eat poo. Some of you who are dog owners know this. Your dog can literally eat its own poo because there's bits of undigested food in poo, right? And so because of 
what goes into their mouth, the Bible declares them unclean. The same rule for birds. The unclean birds listed out are all carrion birds. They eat carcasses and decaying meat, which is disgusting. Uh, the, the clean birds eat plants and insects. Similar rule for the aquatic creatures. You can eat fish because they have fins and um, scales, which means they just swim in the water, and so they're clean. But the sea creatures that crawl on the floor, that eat the dead things on the seafloor, like octopus, lobster, eels, they're all declared unclean. They also look a little bit disgusting. Now, we know you can eat them. In fact, I love seafood, but it is a bit of an acquired taste, especially if you're not used to it. There are rules for insects. Only three insects are classified in the Bible as clean and edible. They are, uh, in Leviticus 11, the grasshopper, the locust, and the crickets. All other insects, bees, ants, termites, are declared unclean, which, by the way, all of those insects are edible. You can eat them. So why? Why is it unclean? I think because they swarm and creep you know, just like it kind of triggers our gag reflex. This is why TV contests like Survivor will challenge their contestants to eat one of these creepy insects. Like the cockroach is edible. It's actually quite nutritious, but very few people can manage to eat a cockroach. And so that's the first point. Classification of clean and unclean. It has to do with disgust. Second point, the theology of clean and unclean. So is this just a list of disgusting and undisgusting food? Is this just putting down on paper what is basically the, cult, the Jewish cultural standards for what is clean? And the answer is no. There's something much deeper going on. And it's much more explicit in Leviticus 11, but we're given a couple of clues here in Deuteronomy 14. So the first clue is verse 3, where it says, you shall not eat any abomination. Abomination, I love that word. It's such a strong word. Um, abomination is any reprehensible, evil thing. Like, it describes like a vile, wicked act. And in the Bible, it's most often used to describe pagan rituals. And in our text, we're actually given three examples of these pagan, abominable rituals. Verse 1, it says, don't cut yourself. This was a pagan form of prayer. You would get the gods to listen to you by self-mutilating. The Bible says that's an abomination. Secondly, verse 1, it says, don't shave the heads of the dead. This was some kind of a pagan burial ritual. Third, down in verse 21, it says, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. This is a little bit of a famous verse because it's cited three separate times in the Torah. And the reason why is because it was a quintessential pagan ritual. We're not exactly sure, but we think it was a magic spell in which you take a young goat and then you take its own mother's milk and then you would boil it alive in the milk. And this sort of mixing of opposing forces of life and death, 
produced strong magic. That's paganism. It's cruel. It's sadistic. The Bible says it's an abomination. And then this same language that is used to describe pagan worship and idolatry is also used to describe eating octopus or eating a pig. It seems a little over the top. Second clue, if you look at verse 2, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You see the same expression at the bottom, verse 21. For you are people holy to the Lord your God. So that these are bookends. This frames, this expression frames this list of clean and unclean food. What's the point? Don't you see? Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 11, it's ultimately not about food. It's about holiness. And the Bible is using this deep, visceral feeling that all human beings have that certain foods are disgusting to teach us about the holiness of God and about the very nature of good and evil. Now, we all understand this intuitively. So if you were to witness some crime, like a truly evil crime, a horrible crime that inflicts harm on a little child, you would not simply shake your head at it. You wouldn't just express moral disapproval. But it would be repugnant to you. It would be disgusting. It would turn your stomach. You would recoil in horror. No one has helped me to um, better understand this than uh, Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt is a professor of psychology at NYU. He's actually an atheist, but he studies the psychology behind morality. Right? So really interesting. He wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. Blew me away. In the book, this is what he says. Human beings don't just think of evil as a set of wrong behaviors, but we also think of it as pollution and contamination. And the example he gives is, he says, most people would not wear the sweater owned by an evil person. Like, imagine there's a serial murderer who you know, tortures people and for some reason, your friend has it and gives it to you and says, here, you know, take the sweater. Most people would not wear that sweater. Now, if you think about it, that doesn't make any rational sense. A sweater is just a sweater. Like, what is wrong with the sweater? But somehow, we believe the sweater is contaminated. We believe the sweater is befouled stained by evil. We all understand this on an intuitive level. And so what the Bible is doing, and, and, and track with me now, okay? The Bible is taking this, this biological sense of disgust to show us what sin looks like to God. Because God does not just condemn sin as a judge. He is disgusted by sin in his very being. 
It is a visceral reaction for him. Because God is holy. You know, as human beings, we have no idea what that truly means. There's, um, there's a great book written by R.C. Sproul called The Holiness of God. And he says that human beings, because of our limitedness, we think through uh, analogies. And so we try to comprehend what we don't know by comparing it to what we know. And so we think of God on a scale. We are at the bottom of the scale. And then we think God is way, way, way up here at the very top of the scale. But R.C. Sproul says that is completely wrong, totally wrong. The Hebrew word for holiness is the word kadosh. Kadosh means absolute and radical separateness. It means to be completely different so that God is not like us. He's not just a bigger, better version of us, but he is infinitely beyond us. He is infinitely above us. God is not on the scale. He is completely off the scale. He is incomparable. There is no analogy. There is no metaphor that captures his infinite greatness. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. God's holiness is his absolute moral purity. It's his infinite goodness. It's his immeasurable righteousness and purity. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is eternal shining light, and the brilliance of his holiness will never fade. It will shine forth forever as pure light, as pure goodness. And so he will never compromise. He will never tolerate. He will never wink at sin. You know why? Because he is incorruptible. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong. God cannot even look at evil. It is repugnant to him. It makes his stomach wretch. It makes him want to vomit. There's a very interesting uh, passage in Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 um, is describing the pagan worship practices in the land of Canaan. I want to read you um, one of the verses. It's really, I want you to listen to the language of it. Leviticus 18, 24 and 25 says, do not defile yourself. Defile means to be made dirty. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things. For the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land has become unclean. So that I will punish its iniquity. Listen to this. And the land will vomit out its inhabitants. Sin makes God nauseous. Just like the thought 
of us eating a dead animal, right, covered in maggots, putrefying, is like repulsive to us. Like you could not compel me to put such a thing in my mouth. That is what sin is to God. That is what sin is to God. And now do you understand what an enormous problem this is for us? Because how can we have fellowship with God? How can we enter into his holy presence? Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. The Bible says only those with a clean hand, only those with a pure heart can stand in the presence of God. Only perfect, sinless human beings can dare to stand in the pure light of God's holiness. Who would dare to enter? Who would dare to enter? That leads me to the third point. How then do we become clean? I said at the beginning the uh, key to reading the Bible is to understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. So for this final point, I want to draw your attention to a very important passage in the New Testament, which is Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, uh, Jesus and the Pharisees are in an argument. The, uh, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of violating the clean laws. Now, actually, he did not break any of the clean laws of the Bible, but he did break one of the um, extra rules that the Pharisees created about the clean laws. And the extra rule is that you are to wash your hands before you eat, right? Um, so that not only are you to eat uh, only clean animals, but you are to eat clean animals with clean hands. That's the extra rule. And uh, the Pharisees were condemning Jesus for this. Now, this is really significant, and I want us to think this through, okay? Because you have to ask, why would you add to what are already difficult and complex laws? Like, it's already difficult. Like, why would you want to make it even more difficult? And the answer is, it has to do with how the Pharisees saw the clean laws. The Pharisees saw the clean laws as these detailed guidelines on how to avoid sin. They saw the clean laws as like a boundary line. And if you cross the line, that's sin. But if you stay on the other side of the line, if you, you know, don't cross the line, then you're not committing sin. But if that's the case, if crossing the line is sin, doesn't it make sense to create some margin, right? Some extra buffer zone. And so wouldn't it be good to draw a second line further back from the first line, commit yourself never to crossing the second line, and then for sure you won't cross the first line. Does that make sense? Does the logic of that make sense? So that if sin is eating unclean animals, wouldn't it be better to create a second rule, which is always to wash your hands before you eat, so that 
not even a particle of anything unclean will ever enter into your mouth. Because in the ancient world, they didn't eat with utensils, they ate with their hands. So for the Pharisees, clean animals, clean hands, that's the extra rule. And they condemned Jesus, and they condemned anyone who did not follow it. I want you to know that this is the essence of religion. Religion is a system of rules. And the rules tell you what is sin and what is not sin. And therefore, religion divides the world up into good people and bad people. Good people keep, or at least mostly keep, the rules. And bad people break the rules. And that's religion. Religion is a ladder that you climb. And you ascend the ladder by keeping the rules. Each rule is a rung on the ladder. And there are some people who are further higher up on the ladder. And then there are some people who are further down on the ladder. And then the people who are higher up look down on the people further down. And they look down with contempt and judgment. That's religion. Some of you are saying, that's awful. That's why I hate religion. Yes, but I want you to know, people who aren't religious do this as well. Everyone has a standard of morality. Everyone lives by a code. Everyone has a set of rules that divides the world up into good people and bad people. And the Pharisees, therefore, are not just fussy, you know, religious teachers, but in the Bible, they represent this universal human instinct to climb the ladder, to find a set of rules that tells you what is right and what is wrong. Every human being does this. Now, what is Jesus' response? I want you to know that his response is the most astonishing answer that has ever been uttered. His response destroys religion. His response completely dismantles this human system of merit. And I want to read you his response. It's a bit lengthy, but it's worth reading at, in detail. This is Mark 7, 18 to 23. Remember, he's responding to, why don't you clean your hands? And Jesus said to them, are you without understanding? And do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus Jesus declared all foods clean. And Jesus said, it is what comes out of a person that, what, that defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So what Jesus is saying is that sin and evil is not just what other people do out there, but sin and evil comes from inside. It flows out of the human heart. 
And therefore, what he's saying is that the clean food laws was always just a metaphor. And it was a metaphor to show us what our hearts look like to God. And Jesus says the human heart is unclean. It's full of evil thoughts, selfish desires, cruelty. And therefore, I want you to understand that religion is utterly ineffective. Because how do you clean the heart? How do you deal with sin when it comes from within? The whole point of the Bible, the whole point, is to bring you to this place of, this, of deep despair. It's to destroy this whole project of self-salvation, of self-righteousness, and to show you that you need a savior, that you can't climb the ladder yourself, that you are stuck at the bottom, all your bones are broken, and the only way that you will be rescued is that someone has to come down and pull you out. The central message of Christianity is that that Savior is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to know that on the cross, Jesus was clothed in our sin. All the, the filth and the foulness of our hearts was put on him. And then God turned his face away in disgust, in revulsion, so that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to know that this is something we will never truly understand. We will never truly grasp. The reason God gave every human being this biological sense of disgust is so that we might have a small picture, a small picture of what God would do to Christ on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became repulsive to God. He was so disgusting that he turned his face away so that you and I, who are truly foul and truly unclean, might be washed clean in Christ. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Almighty God, Leviticus 11.44 says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am holy.
Lord, in ourselves, by our own merits and the record of our lives, we confess we are not holy. But in Christ, we have been washed clean because of his sacrificial death, because of his imputed righteousness, we are holy. We ask that you would continue and make us holy and purify our hearts and cleanse our hands by the Spirit that we might be pleasing to you and useful for your kingdom. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.